Good, good. It's so great to be here. We're in part three of our series called The Fall. And we're looking at the entrance of evil into God's perfect world. And it's a subject that we need to talk about. Over about 30 years of pastoral ministry, many, many people have asked me the question, Pastor, why did this happen? Something really bad will happen in their lives that they don't understand. And I mean, it can be something tragic like a child passing away or a someone beloved that they prayed for that was a godly person that did not get healed or, or a situation that just broke them. And they say, uh, this shouldn't happen. Things ought to be different. Anybody ever experienced that? Something happened and you're just like, this is wrong. In a good world, in a world where there's a loving God, something like this shouldn't happen. God could do something about this. Why did this happen? And so many times I point to Genesis 3 and I say, no, the world is not as it ought to be. In fact, it's not exactly at all like God intended it to be. Our world today is a fallen world. We live in a world that's less than what it should be. And I think that ought, when we ask that question and we say things ought not to be that, be that way, that ought is one of the key indicators that you and I are eternal beings who were created for a world that is better than this one. Do you get me today? We know no matter how much we try to push God out of our society and out of our culture and maybe even out of our lives, there is something down deep inside of us, created in us, that knows the world was made to be a better place. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts and we long for it and we know the world ought not be that way. Now, maybe we don't enjoy talking about evil and how it came into the world, but we must understand evil. A very famous psychiatrist named Carl Menninger many, many years ago wrote a book. It was one of his, his works that he said, we need a revival of the understanding of evil in our world, and we need a revival of repentance in our world. And he gave this quote, and I thought it was so powerful. He said, when evil appears around us and no one is responsible and no one is guilty, then no moral questions are asked, and then there is, in short, nothing to do about it. So we sink to a despairing hopelessness. When we don't acknowledge evil and we don't ask the moral questions that need to be asked, there is no hope because there's no chance for repentance. We need to look at evil. Now, last week we saw a conversation that Eve had with Satan. We looked at an outward conversation that we had with Satan that led to an inward conversation that she had with herself. Anybody had any inward conversations with you? You talk to yourself, maybe not out loud. Maybe so. But you talk to yourself more than you talk to anybody else. Eve's conversation with Satan that we said last week she never should have. We said don't start the conversation with the devil but that conversation led her to an internal conversation, and that conversation ended really badly. Genesis 3, 6, one verse today says this, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. 
God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, a beautiful place, filled with beautiful trees and delicious fruit. And he said, you can have any of these trees and any of this, these fruits, but just one you're called to stay away from. There's just one you can't go to, you can't eat it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were drawn to that tree, and Satan enticed her. And it says this about Eve. She was convinced, and she took, and she ate. Eve was convinced. Her mind was made up. For the very first time in the Scripture, someone questioned God. And for the very first time in Scripture, the very first time in God's creation, Someone decided to go against the Word of God. Up to this point, everything had gone just perfectly in line with what God said. But for the first time, someone tried to act outside the Word of God. Her mind was totally convinced. How did she get convinced? I want to tell you three ways Eve got convinced to not believe the Word of God in three ways that we can fall into the same trap. She was convinced by three things, by her eyes, by her desires, and by her pride, by her eyes, by her desires, and by her pride. It says when she was convinced, when she, first of all, saw that the tree was beautiful. Any of you ever had your eyes get you in trouble? Me and one other guy here this morning. <laughs> I can get in trouble with my eyes. Amen. Our eyes can get us in trouble really, really quickly. I don't know exactly what the tree looked like, but I know this. Satan is a master at taking things that will destroy you and making them look beautiful. I rode by a house not long ago, and it was fully decorated for Halloween with uh, skeletons and ghosts and tombstones and everything out in the front yard and uh, I'm not condemning anybody but I'm not putting a cemetery in my front yard I'm not hanging witches up all over my yard I don't want ghosts all over me that's Pastor Andy's little soapbox right there this morning I want to be associated with life not with death all right but as I drove by and I thought that I thought Here's one of the biggest lies of that whole thing. One of the biggest lies is that Satan is ugly. Satan's not ugly at all. He's beautiful. When you see a horrible, bloody display, a ghoulish display, that's just the end of Satan's aims for your life. It's not the beginning. The beginning is always beautiful. In the beginning, Satan always presents himself as something very desirable. One of the quickest ways to fall in temptation is through what you see with your eyes. The godly man Job in the Old Testament said it this way. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Here's Job, a godly man who served God. He was such a godly man that God called him out from heaven and pointed him out to Satan saying, what a great guy this is. Job knew his limitations and he knew that his eyes would drift towards lovely young women to lust after them. And he had a conversation with his eyes and said, let's make a deal, eyes. We're not going there.
Everybody happy with Job this morning? We're not going there. Because he knew his eyes could lead him into temptation that could destroy his life. Let me tell you something. What you look at matters. I had a guy, a Christian guy, try to tell me one time, said it's okay to enjoy God's lovely creation. It's okay to find the person that God put you with and the person that God wants you to be with and to marry them and then to look at them. And that's a good thing. I basically chase my wife around the house all the time. (laughs) Did she just walk out? Oh, she's online. Be careful, babe. Don't respond. Oh, gosh, the comments she's about to field. And I just told everybody that it's her online. This is getting worse by the minute. God gives you that person. Look at them. Keep your eyes off other people. Keep your eyes off other people. Because it can lead you down a path. Read Proverbs. It can lead you down a path that will destroy your life and wreck your life. Had a guy, I'll go back to that. He told me, uh, it's okay to look. God's made all these beautiful creatures out there, and it's okay to look. It's not okay. Jesus said, if a man looks upon a woman to to lust after her with his eyes, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, adultery can be a matter of the heart before the physical act even takes place. That's why it's so important to guard our eyes. Do you know you can move your eyes away from things that you know you shouldn't look at? Now, you can't help but see things. But you can have the ability to bounce your eyes away. Let's do that. Oh, oh, oh. If you make that sound, it works even better. (laughs) As opposed to elevator eyes that look at people and stop at every floor. Take your eyes off things that don't belong to you. The longer you look, the more your heart gets caught up in it. And the more likely you are to fall into sin and to seriously destructive behavior. Eve was convinced against God's word by what she saw with her eyes. Secondly, she was convinced by her desire. Eve was convinced. It said this, the fruit looked delicious. It seemed like it would be good to eat. Anybody other than me ever looked at a picture of food and your mouth started watering? There are food photographers out there who who literally take pictures of food for menus and ads. Anyone other than me ever been disappointed when you get to the actual restaurant and they bring out the plate and it looks nothing like the picture? That's because they had a professional dress that food up because they know the power of the eyes and they know the power of the belly. In the Bible, desire centered on the stomach. Eve saw the food and said it looked delicious. Something in her body wanted that. And, and do you know, that's a legitimate desire. Here's the good news out of all this. Every temptation that the devil will throw at you has as it, at its root a legitimate desire that God placed in you. 
Satan has no raw material of his own to work with. He can't invent his own things. He has to take desires that God put in us and pervert them and turn them into some extreme and twist them in order to work his will in our lives. The desire for food is good. Three dozen donuts are bad. Too many times as Christians, we're talking about people drinking and smoking and everything else, and we won't deal with our own food addictions. Oh, Lord. Isn't it true? The desire for sex is a good thing. Do you know God created that? Everybody say, way to go, God. Some days I feel like I'm the only honest person here. (laughs) Way to go, Lord. The desire to sleep with someone that's not your husband or your wife is called adultery. And that's a very, very bad thing. Not to say shame, but to say that's a destructive thing that can wreck your life. See, it's the devil taking a very legitimate and good desire that God gave and perverting it to be something bad. Eve had a natural desire for food, and she let that desire lead her into disobeying the will of God. Satan wants to latch on to things that he knows you want and twist them for his own purposes. So she was drawn away by her eyes, first of all. She was drawn away, secondly, by her own desire. Thirdly, Eve was convinced by her pride. It says this, she looked at it, she saw it was beautiful. The fruit looked delicious. It would fulfill the needs of her body. Then she said she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. She listened to the enemy who said, once you eat this fruit, you will be as wise as God, knowing good and evil. And Eve wanted that wisdom. She was lifted up in pride. Do you hear what Satan is doing here? His original sin was to want to be like God and even exalt himself over God. Now what he offers to Adam and Eve is you can be like God. You can have knowledge that God wouldn't give you otherwise, which is an absolute lie. Do you know the Bible says the pursuit of wisdom is very incredibly commendable and is one of the highest pursuits we should have in our lives? In all our getting, in all your getting, get wisdom. Solomon said wisdom cries out in the streets. You know what else the Bible says about wisdom? It says, and this is a lot to think on, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Step one to walking in wisdom is to fear God. Eve threw away her fear of God to pursue wisdom which God would have given her anyway had she pursued him. That was really good. Somebody write that down. (laughs) God wanted to give her wisdom anyway. How many of you think God would have withheld wisdom from them? Sometimes God's know, all the time God knows when we need what we want. Any of you ever have had a five-year-old kid that would like to drive the car? <laughs> Hands going up everywhere. You don't hand them the keys because it's not time for them to have that power and time to get behind the wheel of that car. 
God wanted to give Adam and Eve all the wisdom that they needed. All the, his wisdom he would have given to them in time. But instead, Eve said, I want it now and I'm going to take it for myself. And that is pride in a nutshell. Pride is when we try to seize for ourselves what God wants to graciously give us. I want you to let that sink in. Pride is when I try to take for myself what God in his timing wants to give me by his grace. I wish somebody just give me about five million dollars. Don't you? Y'all don't respond to anything. How many would like somebody just to hand you $5 million today before you leave? Is it unanimous? You know why? I'd never have to trust God again. Wouldn't that be wonderful to not have to trust God again? We're getting to the heart of pride. I bet you if you handed me $5 million today, and if that's your plan, don't let nothing I say stop you, okay? If that's your plan, if you came here with that in mind, just come on, we'll work on it. But I bet if someone handed me $5 million today, I'd probably pray less next week. God puts us in positions sometimes that are not easy and uncomfortable because he's teaching us something very powerful. He's teaching us that he is our source and not us. Eve wanted to seize in a moment what God already had in store for her and it cost her and it cost the rest of the human race dearly. Pride is when I say, I want it, and I want it now. I don't want to wait, God. I want to take the shortcut. Give it to me now. Could we just live in such a way that we walk in a daily dependence on God? I like to think that if I got that $5 million in the bank... I like to think I'd just go giving a bunch of it away. I'd just be blessing people. But the truth of it is, if left to my pride, I'd probably just put it somewhere and let it become my security rather than Jesus. When God wants to be my source and your source every day of our lives for the rest of our lives. Anybody worried about the future? David said, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen God's seed begging for bread. You know what I can tell you today? You serve Jesus Christ and you put him first in your life. And he will take care of you every day for the rest of your life. The prophets of old in the Old Testament, 
the Lord sent the ravens to feed them when they needed it because they were daily depending on the gracious provision of God rather than trying to see something for themselves. The quickest way the devil can get in your life with temptation is through your eyes, through your desire, and through your pride. It's no mistake that 1,500 years later after this was written, John the disciple wrote this in 1 John 2.16. He said this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. That's our desire. A craving for everything we see. That's our eyes. And pride in our achievement and possessions. That's our pride. John said, These are not from the Father, but are from this world. The world wants you to live on what you see, what you want, and the pride that's inside of you. And John said, these are not from the Father. They are of this world. Eve got caught up into this, and then she made the terrible decision to sin. Do you know the devil can't make you sin? You ever heard somebody say, well, the devil made me do it. He never makes us do it. He tempts us to do it. Ultimately, there comes that moment when we make the decision. And what did Eve do? Eve made a decision, the very first decision against God in history. Her decision was two things. Won't you say it with me? Take and eat. Take and eat. She took the forbidden fruit. She went where God said, don't go. And she took it into herself. And sin fell upon the whole earth. Way to go, Eve. But none of us can point a finger here today at her. Me and you, right, at least me and one other person here today have sinned before. That we've gone where God said not to go. We've taken what God said not to take and we've eaten what God said not to eat. How can I avoid Eve's predicament? Number one, I'm going to make an agreement with my eyes. I can't help seeing, I can stop staring. Ask a guy one time, when does it become a sin? If you drive by and see a young lady out jogging, he said, I don't know, but I think the third time around the block, it's got to be a sin by then. Shouldn't make you laugh there because I want this to be serious, but I'm going to make a deal with my eyes that I'm not going to look at things that can draw me into the devil's trap. Amen. I'm going to look away. Amen. I'm going to look away. If I need to get help, I'm going to get help. I'm going to make a decision with my desires. Now, here's the good news, and I want you to hang on to this. Every temptation the devil has, there is a legitimate desire that the devil is twisting for that temptation. So, in order to defeat the devil, I'm going to find out what that legitimate desire is, and I'm going to fill it legitimately. Amen? Amen? 
I'm going to find out what God has put on this earth to me and enjoy and me to seek after. And I'm going to fulfill that desire in a God-honoring way. Not going to let it overflow its banks. A river's a good thing when it's in its banks. It's a destructive thing when it overflows its boundaries. I'm going to fulfill these desires legitimately. And the last thing is I'm going to live humbly. I'm not jumping into the rat race. I don't have to be bigger, better. I don't need more stuff. Oh, God, help us. I'm there. I don't have to win all the competitions. I can serve Jesus out of a pure heart and graciously accept what he gives me without trying to grasp more for myself. Amen. I am so glad that Eve's story doesn't end there. I am so glad that Adam and Eve's failures are not the end of the story. You see, when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth, he was the second Adam. He was God's start this thing over. He was going to correct everything that fell in Genesis chapter 3 would be corrected in Jesus Christ. As Adam represented all of us in his sin, when Adam partook, we fell into sin because he is our physical father. And sin came to all of us. As Adam represented us in his sin, Jesus Christ represented us all in his sacrifice. When he hung on the cross and bled and died, he hung in my place. The judgment that should have fallen on me fell on earth 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay the price. It's been paid for you. Those of you struggling under the burden of sin this morning, you're struggling under a burden that's already been lifted through him. Paul wrote this in Romans. It's powerful. He said, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person... Anybody thankful for that other person this morning that came along? Anybody thankful for the second Adam? Paul said, because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Did you know at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right before he was crucified, the night which he was arrested, he gathered the disciples in an upper room they had a meal together. You ever seen a picture of that meal? Big long table. They're all sitting on one side. <laughs> I can't help myself. He gathered them all together to do something very, very special. First of all, he washed their feet. The king of the world that created everything washed the disciples' feet. 
Remember that the next time you get full of yourself. He created the world. You've created nothing. Because none of us have the power to create. We just have the power to use raw materials that he created. He washed their feet. And then they had a meal together. And do you know in that meal, Jesus went all the way back to Genesis 3. He went all the way back to Genesis 3. Satan came to humanity in Genesis 3 and tempted Eve. And it says she took and she ate. Jesus took bread and he broke it in front of his disciples. And as the second Adam, the Savior of the world, he said, Now, now you take and eat. Now take and eat. This is my body broken for you. What he said in essence is everything Satan offered you, everything Satan tried to lie to you about, everything he said he would give you, you can now find in me. That's the truth right there, friends. Everything your heart longs for this morning, you can't find it out there. Everything you desire is to be found in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for the privilege to gather here today and serve you and love you. May your word do its complete work in our hearts today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here in this place. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Today's your day. Who would say, Pastor, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my Lord today. Can I see your hand really quick? Can I see your hand? Thank you so much. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? Anybody else today? Can anybody say, Pastor, I'm making a deal with my eyes this morning. I'm lifting my hand. I'm making a deal with my eyes. Can I see your hand really quick? Yep, not going to look on things that I don't need to be looking at. God's setting some people free right now. That uplifted hands is first step on you getting free. Amen, amen. Can anybody say, Pastor, I've got some temptations. I'm going to get out there and find that legitimate desire. I'm going to walk in health. I'm going to walk with good boundaries in my life. Can I see your hand this morning? How many can say, Pastor, I've been trying to grasp things. I'm going to serve Jesus and let him bring into my life what he wants in my life. I'm going to walk humbly. All right, amen. Thank you. Let's pray right now for those saying yes to Jesus here and online. Pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, for dying for me on the cross. I receive into my life what you did for me. From this day forward, I'm all yours. I follow you as your disciple. I turn from my sin. I turn to you, Jesus, from this day forward. In your name I pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let me bless you. David said, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are they who say there is no help for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are the shield around me. You're my glory 
and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. Lord, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Amen. I commission you now, go out of this place in Jesus' name, in his power, and make him known. Love you so much. See you next week. We'll finish the fall.